right, guys. So welcome to Philosophers and Mad Men with Josh Moran and Dave Putman. We've got a guest, Jason Vasconi, on our show today. So we're going to get to talk to him about dog training and just what he's passionate about in general. So um, this is Jason. And Jason, why don't you just kind of tell people where you're from and why you love dogs in three okay, sentences. Well, That's all you get. Well, well I'm, from, I'm from Dickinson, Texas. It's a very small town outside of Houston. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of small towns outside of Houston. So if you're anywhere around Houston and anybody asks you where you're from, you're from Houston. You know, it's kind of, you know, because that way people kind of know geographically where you're at. Um, but as far as dogs go, man, I've been addicted since I was a kid. You know, my family had a bunch of them. We had a bunch of German Shepherds that lived in the house. You know, always four to five of them. You know, they slept with me every night. I had a couple that followed me on my bike when I went around the neighborhood. So, I mean, ever since I was a kid, you know, I, I enjoyed the company of dogs more than I did people. That's Which is true to this day. It, it, that's never gone away, man. That's still true. <laughs> now, I, I guess uh, I could see that. You know, I, I think you probably enjoy people's company more than you might let on. But uh, the first time I met you, you were standing all by yourself on the street corner outside of uh, IACP conference, just hanging out. No, I'm a bit of an introvert, man. Really, it, it exhausts me to have to talk to people and entertain them, dude. It's just, it's, I'm just not wired that way. Seriously. No, it's true. Everybody around you will tell me. I mean, I got to do it. I mean, that's a big reason why I got into dog training. Hell, I thought I didn't have to talk to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> that lasted about a month. Yeah, exactly. That's too funny. So how did you uh, get into dog training? Um, so... When I was 16, when my parents bought me a car, um, man, I had to have a dog with it. And uh, the girl I was dating at the time uh, for Christmas bought me a lab puppy. Really nice dog. Didn't even ask for it, but she knew I wanted one with, when I got my license. And uh, he just turned out to be a really nice dog. As a matter of fact, when we were there picking him out, Clint Black's parents were there picking him out a puppy. Oh, yeah. Y'all know him, the country and western singer from back in the 80s? Uh, no. Clint Black, you ever heard of him? Okay, well, if you, if you were from Sorry, Texas, man. you'd know who he was. He's kind of a superstar. Right? I'm letting <laughs> Texas down real hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I took him. I mean, I had him everywhere I went. You know, I I'd never left the house without him. You know, even if, even if I went to school, if it was a cool day, he sat in my car, you know, until I got out. And I had a, one of my best friends had an older sister, and she got a puppy. Uh, she was kind of like my sister too, but she was about eight years older than us. So she, we were in high school. She was already married and had a kid and all that. But uh, one day she just said, "Man, I want, I want my dog to be like yours, you know." And he minded fine, you know. I didn't. I mean, I just raised him up. I just took him everywhere I went. I didn't do any formal training with him. Um, I don't think I even ever had a leash on the dog ever, even till the day he died. I don't remember ever putting a leash on this dog. But she said she wanted her dog to be like mine, and you know, I. I had a relationship with her, so I said I'd give it a try and kept him for about three weeks and brought him back. And she was very happy and gave me two $100 bills. This was like in 1988. You know, I was rich, man. Gas was like 37 cents a gallon. <laughs> so I, I bought all the beer for like a month straight because I had all this money. And, uh, man, I was, I was just kind of hooked at that point. It was just easy for me, you know. I just I didn't have to try. And I had money in my pocket. So, um, you know, I just started asking people and spreading the word, and I'd get a dog every now and then here or there, and people just, you know, they were pleased and kept giving me cash. 
I think I was charging, I stuck with $200 a dog, you know, after that, every time someone paid me, you know, I went to the, the, the um, shelters in the area, you know, and I'd volunteer there. And if I volunteer there, I know they pass out my, you know, my number. And, um, man, that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. Just grinding. I never, I never stopped. Yeah. That's a, that's really interesting. Cause it, you know, a lot of people we've spoken with and myself personally, what got them and myself into dog training was an actual problem dog, right? Getting a dog you can't handle. So you're seeking professional help. Whereas on the flip side, you just had a dog and it was awesome. Yeah, no, he was, he was, he was a great dog, man. He he was, he was really good. Um, you know, and, and on top of that, whenever, whenever I was in school, I didn't have much structure as far as my home life. So I fell behind on credits where all my, all my classmates were seniors. I was still a freshman as far as credit wise goes. And at that point, I was just so far behind. I went and got my GED and I had to make a living doing something. And I already trained about 15 dogs. And uh, I was like, man, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. It's like, there's no reason for me to go back to school or even, you know, do anything else. So I got my GED and um, became a dog trainer. Damn, dude, that's awesome. Just, I got lucky, yeah. It doesn't sound like no. luck. It sounds like you busted your ass. And I did, and I was poor for a really long time, like a really long time until I met my wife about 18 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and when I met her, I think I was 29 and she was 19. She wasn't old enough to drink, so it kept me out of the bars, you know, and kept me from chasing tail everywhere and slowed me down. And, um, you know, even though she was 10 years younger than me, she was a lot more mature mentally sure. and got me focused in, in my career and got me focused in actually trying to achieve something and make something of myself. So, you know, since then, it's been all uphill. Powerful Elizabeth. Getting your yeah, shit together, yeah, no, man. it was a big influence. Yeah, she she smacked me in the face enough to get me straight. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. One of the things you're uh, more known for in dog training is large field socialization. I saw your presentation on that actually uh, this past year's ICP was pretty pretty rad. I liked it a lot. So uh, how did you get into that aspect of dog training? What drew you to that? Okay, well, I mean, I've always put a bunch of dogs together, you know, even when I was younger. Whenever, like I was telling you, that dog that I got when I was 16, he was such a good dog and everybody was impressed. It wasn't long before my whole group of friends had dogs. I mean, every guy that I hung out with, we all had a dog, and we got together and we drank or had a bonfire. Our dogs were there, mm-hmm. so I was putting, I was putting dogs together and just just hanging out for a long time. But about, oh, I guess it's about 12 years ago now. I moved from the north side of Houston, which is an area called the Woodlands, Texas, down to where I'm at now, which is Clear Lake, Texas, more towards the bay. And uh, when I got down here, I knew I needed to move my operation. I needed to know I needed to get busy quick. So I found the largest kennel in the area and uh, went there and applied. And I just got real lucky. The trainer that was there at the time was moving to, to California to train uh, dolphins. Oh, so when I, put cool. in my, when I put in my application, she was supposed to be leaving in a month, and it was just good timing. And, and uh, so I got a job there. And about two miles down the road, Chad Mackin was training dogs out of his place Mm -hmm. and I I was there about a week and what I did is when I got there you know they had a big marquee on this main road so I went and I put my name up and 
and you know new dog trainer jason vasconi come in and say hi and he saw this so i guess it, it drew his attention but he he came down and met me one day and uh, invited me out to lunch and uh, he introduced me to the iacp and um all that and not soon after that you know we were we were hanging out quite a bit like he would come watch my group classes you know to see what i was doing of course he'd invite me down to watch his and um, he came down after one of my group classes, and I, what I had going on was social time, you know, and if people wanted to bring adult beverages and stuff, they were allowed to. It was very relaxed and chill, and uh, I would just let them do whatever they wanted with their dog. We'd kind of stand still, give out treats. You know, I'd show them how to do tricks with their dog. If they wanted to shake or roll over, I'd kind of show them the process to get to that point. But um, while he was there, I had, like, two arguments with a couple dogs, they were competing over, you know, the people's space and maybe treats. I don't, I don't remember what it was. And uh, he was like, well, why don't you come down and watch my social time, you know, after my class. And uh, I went down there, I guess it might have been the next night. And uh, I saw how he had everybody walking in the circle, you know, can't touch him, can't talk to him. And he had a, he wanted those dressage whips in his hand to keep everybody in line. And man, when I saw that, I was like, Jesus Christ, I was doing everything wrong. This makes so much sense. <laughs> you, know, I was just, you know, what the hell was I thinking? I, you know, um, so I watched that and I was like, dude, I got to do this. And he was like, well, you really got to come watch this guy in Baton Rouge named Dick Russell. He puts 150 dogs together at one time in a five acre field. And uh, I was like, all right, man, let's go. I don't know how long it took to get down there after, but it was shortly. But I went down there and we left about four in the morning. We got there right before Dick's first social started. And, uh, man, I was just floored. Yeah, there was about 150 dogs. Damn. And they were all off leash. Damn. And we were walking around, and he was just pointing them out, you know, going, yeah, this dog came in for dog aggression. This one came in for dog aggression. This one came in for dog aggression. And, I mean, I just thought it was amazing. And he was doing this all by himself. He was just an old man. He was probably in his 60s then. He had just him, one stick and a cup of coffee in his other hand <laughs> with no help. And 150 dogs running loose. And uh, so that next weekend, I started up my social class. I didn't wait. You know, that next Saturday, I started pushing it that whole week until that next Saturday. And uh, I started out probably with, you know, 10 dogs and a quarter of an acre. And uh, been doing it pretty much every Saturday since. So, no, I average about 100 dogs in three acres every Saturday. And I turn them loose. And it's, uh, man, it's my main tool to fixing any dog, you know, whether it's aggressive or it's just not confident or it's shy or afraid of the world. Uh, man, that's my main tool. That's my ace. So, what do you what do you think it is that? Uh, what is the ace that fixes quote unquote fixes the these dogs? You know what what about the large field socialization, in your opinion? Well, a ton fixes? of things. One, it's just it's all about flooding and desensitizing. You know, there's just so many dogs. It's it's so hard to pick a target. You know, there's just it's, it's so hard to pick a target. There's so many. Um, and if you, if you keep them in the middle and you guide them through it, then of course, you've been, over time, they'll, they'll be desensitized to, to all the other dogs. But I think the main reason is we just keep the people out of it. You know, personally, they're there, which is what's important because they create the draw. And when you get them walking, you create that draw and you get the dogs moving. That's how you get the dogs moving is the people. Um, and, and if you get them moving next to each other, if you get two dogs that are moving next to each other, they're more likely to pack up and become part of the same family, and they're less likely to fight. But um, I think, I mean, there's just, there's just so much that goes into it that makes it work. Once you you got to have that 
that foundation of your core dogs that do know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And the larger amount of that, the bigger that is, the better and the more space you have is the better, the better it's going to work. So I, I think keeping the people out of it personally and, and not putting the dogs in conflict and not putting them in a position to compete with each other and not putting any more pressure on them um, is the key. They learn from each other. I mean, they speak dog. We don't. We just walk around confusing the hell out of them all day long. Hell, I mean, I've been I've been helping people with their dogs for a long time, but I, I know I still confuse the hell out of my dogs. They look at me and they just go, "Man, you're the most socially awkward motherfucker." <laughs> I can see it in their eye. Man. They, oh man, I really think they're thinking that most of the time. Uh, I'm happy it's not just me, man. That's <laughs> good to hear. No, me too. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's that's perfect. I've seen some videos of your uh, socializations, though. I would have to say, you know, keeping the people out of it is one thing, but what do you think? Uh, I've done a lot of socializations, the vast majority of, majority of them indoors. And even when I have done it, it's been in a relatively smaller size area, whereas you're running dogs on, on some pretty good uh, property, right? I think you got, like, close to three, four, yeah, five got, acres, right? Yeah, I got about... Yeah, three and a half acres, I okay. think. By awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I th- personally, just from what I've seen, I think that probably makes a difference as well. The outdoor, just dogs running, there's so much stimulus from being outside. I think that sometimes that athletic outlet sometimes helps some of these dogs as well. How do you feel yeah. about that? No, no, for sure. I mean, it's it's two totally different beasts, the indoor and the outdoor. Um I, I ran an indoor one for a little bit. When Chad left and moved to Chicago, when he met Stephanie, um, he asked if I'd come take over his his group class and his social where he was where he was doing it at. He just had a lot of people that were still on the list that were counting on him to help him, and he just didn't want to abandon them. Yeah. So I went up there, and I probably did about six months of work. But then, you know, I left after that because I just don't like splitting my money with anybody. <laughs> but I stuck around. I stuck around long enough. Um, you know, for a big just because I told Chad I would, I owe Chad a lot, man. I was the time when I met him and he introduced me to the IACP and introduced me to Dick and taught me how to use an e-collar was around the same time. My, my wife had our first baby, my son and man, all those things, the IACP getting some guidance from some people that were already successful, you know, the, the, the meeting Dick and learning how to do large dog, along with learning how to use an e-collar so I could actually give people a solid recall in a short period of time and they could get these dogs out and take them places without them being attached. Uh, gave me the ability to raise my prices and triple them, quadruple them from what I was charging. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I felt in debt to him, so I wanted to help him out. So I stayed there about six months, and I was doing an indoor social Man, it's it's just a big difference. I mean, you don't have all the outside stimulations. You don't have all the critters peeing all over the grass. You know, I think it even goes down to the insects the dogs can smell that are in the grass. Just all that natural stuff. You know, even I think the barometer and the way the wind's blowing, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, all this plays a big difference. Just being outside, you know, the noises and, and, and everything from being outside makes a huge difference. Cause I think when you're indoors, about the only thing the dogs have to focus on is each other yeah there's there's nothing sure. else for them to 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 put their brain towards so it, it makes it more difficult on them. Yes. yeah for sure outside makes a huge difference i've always felt a little bit more relaxed outside and um i mean i 
I'm a huge fan of indoor socialization. Don't get me wrong. I I do a ton of it, and I I think it's spectacular. But I think there's also something to be said for that kind of almost feeling like you're just walking your dog through the woods. That's that's what it's about for me. That's that's what I love is taking my dogs out in the woods and just going somewhere together. Yeah, no, no. I, I've seen I've seen your pictures on Facebook. No, no, that's good stuff. No, I, yeah, I love that stuff too. And now, don't get me wrong, I love the indoor stuff too. Uh, what I'm hoping one day is I can do both. Yeah. Because there's there's several dogs throughout the year that I have to kick out of my large dog that would probably prosper in, a, in an indoor situation where you slow it down and you keep the energy down, you keep everybody calm. Um, they would do just fine there, but uh, they they just can't deal with the adrenaline and the excitement and the energy. Gotcha. You know. Uh, so I, I got to get them out. You know, they can't stay. I got like a three-strike rule. I'll, I'll give them three chances. And, and and then after that, if it's not working out, then, you know, my class just probably isn't for them. Sure. But, um, you know, every time I do that, I feel really bad. And I, I feel heartbroken for the dog. And I wish that I did have an indoor facility in a much smaller area where I could slow things down and uh, take them into that where I could actually, you know, heal them and rehabilitate them. Well, you know, at least give it more of a try than the, than the opportunity I had with my large dog. Yeah, no doubt. Interesting. So one of your uh, other passions is sheep herding, correct? It is. Yeah, man, I love it. I, I was introduced to it about, a, I guess, about three years ago. I called Cindy Duan, and uh, the dog that I that I had died, I had a boxer, and he got old. He had heart problems. We had to have him put down, so I needed a new dog. And, man, I wanted something easy. So I called Cindy Duan, <laughs> and I knew she had some awesome border collies. I knew she had an awesome bloodline. So uh, I called her, and I said, can you find me a pup? You know, I want one of Riffs. And Riffs is, is her older dog mm-hmm. um, that she's had for a while. And this, this dog's titled and everything. You know, everything. Just a solid dog. She's done everything with this guy. And uh, so I couldn't get one of Riff's puppies, but I was able to get one of Riff's nephews. Nice. And uh, so she found, she's like, yeah, they're right down the road from me, about five hours away. So I said, I'll come out. We'll spend some time together. We'll go pick up my pup. Um, So I contacted the people. I sent them a deposit, drove down to Cindy, spent some time with her, went and picked up the dog. And when we got out there, they were having a sheep herding workshop. Never even thought about sheep herding or never even seen it. You know, might have glanced at it on TV, had no interest. But we were there. We went out there for all three days and watched the the, the, the workshop. And then we watched. They had trials on Sunday, and I watched the trials. Man, I was hooked. I had a badass sheep herding dog. And, you know, I didn't even know it, but this was this was a dog that was coming from sheep herding a, a blood, you know, bloodline. Uh, Fig's mother and father had titles all the way across the board. They were just really badass at it. So all of a sudden I had a badass puppy that was going to be good at it. And I saw what it was about and um, got back to Texas, uh, started immediately calling around, finding the closest person to me to teach me how to do it. And I found a lady named Joy Hall that lives out in Hempstead, Texas. She's about 90 miles from me. Um, And I I still drive 90 miles to go practice. You know, it's a whole day for me. I got to I get up, I drive out there. Excuse me, I practice with my dogs. I drive back. That's my whole day. So it's it's a lot to get out there, but um, man, the the competition, the the adrenaline, 
the ability to to achieve the thrill of victory <laughs> uh, and I, I man i love it dude i i just i, I just I, i'm just totally addicted to it i grew up playing sports you know all through junior high and um through high school until i until i wasn't eligible to play no more but um man that was something that i was missing just the the ability to compete and have the chance to win and be better than everybody i mean that's something i really liked when i was young but i was away from it for a long time and uh, now i got it back in my life and i love it man it makes me feel alive like today at the the livestock show and rodeo i was probably running my dog in front of oh i don't know shoot five thousand people six thousand people wow and uh man the adrenaline the, oh dude, it was just pumping through my body I, I you know you just don't feel more alive you know what i'm saying damn that's yeah. crazy to, to be out there with your dog and have a chance to be better than everybody else um yeah i can't get enough of it yeah i love it wow so I, well no my, i was just gonna ask how's your whistle <laughs> you know what that's funny you ask so that dog that i got from from uh from georgia she's uh she's been going deaf slowly since i got her so she's totally deaf now in her left ear and 50 percent in her right ear um so that's caused me to have to switch to a whistle pretty quick um i'm not whistling with my fingers which i thought i was gonna do because i wanted to be cool you know i don't need a fucking plastic whistle i'll just use my fingers or i'll whistle out of my mouth but the the tones and the you know the variation of your whistles, man, it, it's just so widespread. It's just better to have have one that they make. But that's just something I just started. I haven't linked it up with my with my cues and my commands when I'm training my dog yet. But it's something that I'm practicing so I can, especially with my deaf dog. You want to make sure you're good at it before you apply it with your dog, or you're just going to confuse the hell out of them if you're not consistent. And you're not good at it. So no, not too good with the whistle yet. We haven't applied it, so I'm just using my voice at this point. Interesting. That's but I rad. can yell really loud. They can hear <laughs> That's funny, dude. I have this uh, CD uh, an old client gave me from Hubert Bailey. And it's... Hey, that's, that's where I got my first dog from. That's who, that's who was doing the workshop. Oh, okay. When I went out and got awesome. my dog was Hubert Bailey. Dude, that's... Yeah, and he, he had a broken leg. He was doing it with a crutch. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. This CD is... Pretty fantastic, in my opinion. It's kind of a somewhat of urban legend in my family. Uh, track two, in his beautiful southern drawl, he's talking about if he wants to send his dog out to the left, how he's going to whistle for that. In, uh, and then he mimes it. He says, it's a wee-oo. <laughs> uh, quiet. So... You need to buy a bark collar, I sell them. Nah, man. No, I'm, I'm good. I, I, I live in the city. They got to bark, man. <laughs> I can't be having people creeping around and me not knowing about it. Yeah. Where, where are y'all at? I, I know you told me before. Uh, I'm in Buffalo. Oh, Buffalo. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, oh, then you definitely know where I was born. That's not too far from yeah, me. No, no, dude, yeah, Binghamton and Endicott. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. For sure. Yeah, for sure. They're uh, uh, east of Buffalo. Yeah, east of Rochester, yeah. Syracuse. Yeah. Man, that's beautiful country. I went up. So my my mom got pregnant with my dad whenever she was in high school. So I wasn't raised by my biological dad. And about uh, no. six years ago. 
Um, no, actually, that was about 10 years ago. My wife found my biological dad online without even asking. And I came home, and she was like, I found your dad. And I was like, shit, I didn't know he was missing. I thought she was talking about my stepdad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't know where to go. And she was like, no, I found your biological dad. So I ended up calling him and went up there and visited, and he was really cool. He had a couple, you know, he had a few Harleys. And we went driving the Harleys up through the, the hills and stuff around that area of the state. Man, how, how beautiful that was. It's you know, so there was like Everybody had, like, a ton of tulips. They don't grow tulips down here. I mean, that's not a Texas thing. But they were just, you know, all different colors of flowers and all through the hills, man. It was awesome. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a beautiful country. You know what's crazy about that? When I tell people that story and you tell them, and I was in New York, they ought to, here they, they think New York is the city. Oh, yeah. Oh. Everybody the whole state does. is New York, New York City. Yeah, for sure. They have no idea how beautiful the country is up there. No I idea. I think that's half the reason Buffalo as a culture has such like a weird complex <laughs> we're always just brushed to the side, you know. Right. Uh, but I uh, used to live in Colorado, and you tell somebody you're from New York, they're like, "Oh, you don't have the New York City accent." Well, it's, it's a giant state, man. Like, <laughs> I literally live eight hours away from New York City. Right. Well, right, it's good you don't sound like that, man. I hate. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was uh, watching some videos earlier on YouTube because uh, I, I tend to go down rabbit holes quickly and the first time I heard Hubert Bailey CD that Josh has was over a year ago and it's taken me about a year to Google it but I uh, got on some videos on YouTube and watching him train and uh, it's certainly interesting I, I was talking to Josh today about it I don't I don't thoroughly understand the concept because it looked like it was just him coffee a whip and a whistle and I was just how do you have any insight you can give me on how that how that works is it the coffee because I drink a lot of coffee and my dog is not <laughs> really that good you know hey, here's the thing with that if you if you don't have a good dog if it's not instinctive and they don't have that drive uh man you're 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 running uphill the whole time I mean you I where I train and in, in trials and stuff, you'll see other breeds out there doing it, but it's it's a lot more mechanical, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so, man, having a good dog that's born with it, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, it, it really does. Just just an example. I have two. I have two sheep dogs that I compete with. I have uh, Fig, which uh, her name stands for stands for Found in Georgia, because that's where I found her. <laughs> and then we got Clint, we got Clint Sheepwood, um, and uh, man, Clint, he, he's just so much more talented. Even even from even from you know four months old, his instinct to stay wide, to be calm, to move slow, to speed up when he needs to, to slow down when he needs to is just off the charts compared to Fig. You know, both of them come from a good bloodline, but man, just getting lucky and getting that right dog makes all the difference in the world. But um, yeah, you know, they, they don't, in the sheep herding world, especially the lady who, who teaches me, um, there, I mean, no e-collars. I've mentioned many times, man, I can, I can make this better with an electronic collar. And she just she just looks at me like she wants to bite my head off anytime I say something like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know you don't you don't you don't need much when you got a good dog. You need a you need a long rope at the beginning. Yeah, you need a stick. 
you know, to make an extension of your arms so you can push them in different directions. It's always a push. It's never a pull when it comes to that stuff. Um, and then you need you need about three sheep. You need three broke sheep when you start off a pup. You need sheep that have been used to being moved around by dogs. You just can't go get any sheep and do this or they'll stomp your dog. Oh, damn. Mm, don't want that. But, um, yeah, it's it's all voice. You know, no treats, no nothing. These dogs just love to do it. You know what's funny about that is today I had uh, the one of the girls who works for me, actually the only girl that works for me, Cynthia, and then another trainer in Houston come out and watch me. And they were watching us compete. And uh, whenever I was done with my first run, they came down to talk to me. And uh, one of the first thing they said is, you were the only one to get to pet your dog when you were done. You were the only one to hug it. <laughs> you know, because you know, here's the thing, man. With a good dog, you don't even have to. You don't even have to pay it off. You don't have to reward it, man. Just working is their reward the whole time you're out there. Even if you're on their ass and they're in trouble because they're not listening, and you're really getting on them and putting a lot of pressure on them, um, and you had a bad time out. Just the fact that they were working is their reward. You don't need to pet them. You don't need to hug them. They don't care. Just the fact that they were out there, that, that means the world to them. Nothing's better, you know, to the dog. They just want that opportunity to work, man. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's what they live for, man. It, that's what they live for. I'm just trying you got to... got you a good dog. That's all that runs through their minds. I'm just trying to make well, my Well, that, maybe a tennis ball and food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, sure. I'm just, yeah, you know, get a, a pity who I'm going to make into every sort of working dog available. You know, he's going to herd sheep. He's going to... He's going to do competition obedience. It's really tough, though, because his his real drive is to just smash things. He's not exactly the most delicate of uh, of dogs. Are you talking about your dog? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the most delicate when it comes to uh, finesse work. You know, hurting to me when I see it is just, it's, it's, a, it's really graceful to watch the dogs do the work. And, you know, comparatively to what my creature can do is... Uh, not the most elegant. And he is yeah. that, a creature. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, for right. sure a creature, <laughs> which is why I love him. So with all well, the, I bet he'd be, he'd be badass at tugging and pulling a sled or something like that then, probably. Yeah, I'd probably. But I, mean, no, I, love, I love pit bulls. You know, I, I deal with a lot of them. They run rapping down here. I don't know how, how popular they are up there. I'm assuming just as popular. I'm oh, assuming yeah. all over oh, the yeah. United States. But, uh, you know, I, I deal with a ton of them. No. Yeah, we'll, yeah, for I, sure. I gotta believe that every dog's got its its thing that it enjoys. You know, you know the border collies love the herd. Uh, my pity loves the smash. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Exactly. You know what I did? I did Schutzen work with a uh, with a guy. This is I think this was 1993. The num the summer of 90 between nine yeah 93, and I. I spent about three months with him doing some work. He had all Dobermans. And, uh, man, I got a kick out of that. No, he had some badass dogs. Yeah, they would they would kick your ass. For sure. <laughs> he had them trained up really well. And he hired me just as a decoy because I was young and I was in somewhat, you know, pretty good shape. So it was just my job to run around and uh, Keep it. put y'all got guests showing up. Yeah, I oh, do. Oh, we've got quite a bit. You want to see your audience? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see who's here. Yeah, for sure. Now I gotta move the microphone. Oh my god. Yeah, Doby guy. There's Doberman oh, woman right awesome. there. Hey, how y'all doing? Hi. This is Jason Vasconi. Hi, Jason. Uh, Who is the Doberman? Yeah, it's nice, it's nice to meet you. That you worked with. Barb would like to know who the Doberman person you worked with was. 
Oh, shoot. Um, okay, I know the name of the kennel was Charel Kennels. Charles. To remember his yeah. name and from 1994 with only three months of it, man, I've smoked way too much pot. There's no way. Yeah. No, I don't. But you know what? Hey, he was from New York, so I wished I could remember his name because you might know who he is. I wish he did. Yeah. I do remember that he was from New York. I don't remember what part of the state, what but was uh, he was country? from New York. He moved down here to establish himself, and um, I don't think he took off. I think he went back. If I if I think of his name while All we're right. talking, man, I'll throw it out there. Okay. Interesting. I mean, I'm surprised you remember this much, like exactly the year in which <laughs> things happened. Hey, you know, that's, I don't have very many um, things that I'm good at in life, but man, that's one of them. Like, one of the games that we play is when we're listening to music and it's on the TV, you know, you can you can put it on where they have the, the music going and what year it is. Well, what we do is we sit off to the side and uh, we guess what year it is, you know, what year the song came out, like if we're doing yeah. 80s or 70s or, or 90s. And, uh, man, I'm the best. I kick everybody's ass. Just, <laughs> I'm not good at much, but for some reason I retain that shit. As far as years and what I was doing during that year, I'm real good at that. Hell, if that if that's what it took for me to graduate high school, dude, I would have been valedictorian. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Oh, that's shit. Awesome. So you, uh, you do a lot of socialization, and you do a lot of herding work. So how have those two things influenced and kind of crafted your understanding of spatial pressure and how to apply and release that? Um, you know, the whole thing about pressure is, you know, I think that's why I was able to succeed and actually stay in the business from the beginning is because I had a real good natural feeling for it, when, when to put on the gas and when to take it off. You know, when to put on the brakes and when to put on the gas, when to push the dog and when not to push the dog to where we could constantly move forward and do it in an efficient amount of time. And never really thought about it much. Actually, you know, when it comes to when it came to training, as far as any technical terms or anything like that, man, I, it, it just isn't with the way my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um, how it's done and why it's done never runs through my mind. Um, just doing it. And if it feels good to run with it and if it's working to keep continuing doing it, if it's not, try something different and use your imagination. But the whole word of pressure and release and using that term and looking at it in that in that perspective really didn't start until until uh, Chad started pushing it about five years ago. He was all over the you know facebook and that with it and i was like oh man it, it, you know it is all about pressure and release putting the pressure on you know taking it off and then looking at it in those terms but you know as far as sheep herding goes yeah you know you got pressure coming from the handler you got pressure coming from the dog you got pressure coming from the sheep and it, inter- it intertwines all through all three whether it's the sheep to the dogs the dogs to the sheep the sheep to the person the person to the sheep and all that it's all coming from every di- different direction um, which which just makes it completely awesome. But, um, you know, one of the compliments I get whenever I, I, I work my dogs is just how well-balanced they are. I'm talking about my sheep dogs when I'm at sheep herding competitions or I'm around other sheep herders. And I think a, a big reason why I get these compliments of how balanced my sheep dogs are compared to everybody else's 
is the fact that I do involve them in a ton of socialization with a ton of other dogs. And people see the difference. Oh, yeah, here, toast. <laughs> Dave just brought me a new beer, so, yeah. Is that too close? Yeah, we'll see. That's what they see in here. Oh, okay. So oh, shit, I didn't even notice I'm down there in the bar. Okay, look, if you prop it up, you can kind of sit back a little bit. Okay. Oh, Skype oh, there lessons. we go. Oh, shit, there's more of me oh, right there. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, Elizabeth's and dropping now. It's here, man. It's like 65. It's so cold, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally I like I had to put on my hoodie, dude. I had goosebumps when we, when we first came out. It's 28 degrees here. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's warm. It, it's twenty eight degrees. I'm assuming they they sell clothes for that shit there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned if that. If it was twenty eight degrees here, everybody freeze. They don't sell clothes for that. <laughs> it's twenty eight degrees. My, my biggest but... jacket is a hoodie. <laughs> we I went to Utah a couple. What was it? The week before last. I, um, I did that same presentation for one of Heather Beck's workshop that I did at IACP. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, we got there, and she wanted to go tubing. Where you get in the, you know, you get in the tubes and you slide down the hill. Yeah. And uh, she was like, "You bring a winter jacket." I, you know, we were like, "Well, yeah." You know, we got our hoodies. They don't get much. You know, it doesn't get much thicker than that. <laughs> <laughs> Your face is cut off. Okay. Yeah. Here, let me back up. I had to make my brother put on pants earlier. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. He was wearing shorts. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, He's probably got some pretty hairy ass legs. Huh? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, his beard legs. goes down to his fucking ankles. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's just used to it. We it got up to almost forty degrees today, and everybody's like, "Oh shit, it's pretty nice out. Sun's out. It's warm. Yeah, that's, Man, that's warm. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. Y'all sweat your ass off down here. Uh, yep, yeah, for sure. Yeah, not a big fan of the heat myself, but without know. a doubt. But I'd love to go out and do some large field socialization. There's just no fields large enough around me. And uh, so we'll have to come down to Texas, I guess. Yeah, no, you're welcome to come down anytime. How do we get there? You know, here's the thing about the large field socialization. It's definitely probably the dumbest thing I do also. <laughs> please, please <laughs> I mean, it's, not, it's, it's really not smart to get to get 100 dogs, mm. and most of them are socially awkward, and stick them loose in the same yard together is definitely not the smartest thing to do well, by any means. So how do you prepare? I mean, coffee, obviously. We've established that coffee. Actually, is no, secret. I don't drink coffee. No, but I do prepare for it. I really do. I Friday night I go to bed early. Saturday <laughs> I wake up morning and I get in an awesome workout. Right. You know, I do my dumbbells. I stretch. I do wind sprints. By the time I get to my get to the field, I have the state of mind of I dare you. I'm looking for a dog to screw up. I'm waiting for him. You know, I, I I'm not a cocky guy, but when I walk in the field, I'm cock. I want the dogs to smell cock when I walk in the field. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez! And, and you That's know what? It, it makes perfect. it makes all the difference in the world. When I first started doing the large dog social, <laughs> and this is this is when my wife was still pregnant. So you know, I I would stay up late with my friends. At that point, there was a lot of times I'd be up to like three in the morning drinking. Then I'd wake up at seven and go do large. Man, the dogs knew. They were just like, oh, yeah, this this motherfucker's hung over. <laughs> we're going to kick everybody's ass today. So I would I would definitely have a lot of fights. And I'm running around the yard, you know, you know, dragging ass. Um, but it didn't take me too long to figure out that was a bad idea. But um, no, I, I really prepare for it. I, I do. I work out probably for 
And it's not a lot. Probably 30 minutes a day, Monday through Friday, and then my Saturday workout before social. It's not a lot, but it's enough to make me mentally feel like I, I got it going on, that I'm fast enough and I'm strong enough that if anything goes down, I can handle it. So your physical yeah. workout is more so of a psychological preparation, really. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you want to be feeling no, good I, I walk in the there. I, I, you know, I, I like what pumps me up is old school rap. I'll jam it on my way there. I listen to my headphones as people walk in. And, uh, man, I feel like I'm prepared for an MMA fight before we turn them loose. Like I said, I'm hoping <laughs> someone screws up. But you know what? It makes all the difference in the world, I think. I think they know, you know? No doubt. I think you the d- dogs know. You know what For else sure. is going to make all the difference in the world? Um, this next question. Biggie or Tupac? Ooh. Oh, shit. Well, Tupac because he's got more hits, but I, I like I like Biggie stuff, too. Damn. Yeah. My man. Yeah, Biggie doesn't have as many hits I knew I as liked far you. As, as Tupac does as many songs that I like. But, um, no, I like both. Yeah, for sure. Baby, baby, baby. <laughs> 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 All right, you re- you redeemed that right. that dirty Tupac comment with that right there. <laughs> oh, that's right. Y'all are East Coast. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm with you on this one. Okay. All I'm right, with then. Tupac. No, yeah. for sure. Thug no. life, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here's, here's a little... Uh, Little-known Tupac fact, Tupac was not only a backup dancer, but a backup singer for Digital Underground on the song The Humpty Hump. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You can't, yeah, you yeah, can't then that. go get Thug Life tattooed on your belly. You're a backup <laughs> dancer no. for the Humpty dance. He did. <laughs> no, what happened is he, is he kicked Humpty's ass. No. Yeah. Nobody kicks Humpty's ass. <laughs> Pretty sure he shot him. <laughs> No, he danced. Thug life on there. He danced behind Let's him be like real, Humpty Hump told I mean, him to. The, the Thug <laughs> Life rocker is really tough. I was training one of my buddies. A good friend of mine gave me his, his Great Dane and a little pug to train for him about three years ago. And, uh, man, he loved this little dog. So when I had the dog here for training, I was just joking around one day, and I got a marker, and I painted Pug Life across my belly. <laughs> I had a little dog. You know, just like two pack head right across. <laughs> you got a kick out of it. So when you uh, when you keep a dog for training, what do you? Um, you don't have to go into crazy super specifics, but what's your overall game plan? Do you have like a an idea of what you're doing right away, or are you just kind of like, hey, let's get to know this dog and we'll go from there? Like, do you have a strict uh, obedience? Certain well, I, I, I do, and I, I don't stray off of it much. Sometimes I do. Um, but my main thing I, I focus on is the off-leash control. Where I live, there's a lot of parks and a lot of open spaces where people can take their dogs off-leash. So um, most of my time is spent, by the time I send the dog home, we don't need a leash and we can walk pretty much everywhere. I live close to the beach, Galveston Beach. So You got beaches the, in Texas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We and it, it's not real. Well, the, the water is brown. It looks like someone's shit. <laughs> all, the, all the sewer just runs into Gal, you know, into the Gal- into the Gulf of Mexico. It's not like a real beach where the water's blue and stuff. But there, there is a beach there. But um, there's a lot going on. So once I can take a dog and I can walk it down the beach with no leash, even with people out there with their other dogs and other people. And, uh, man, I, I just have uh, really, really good control, and I don't have to use my remote much. Um, I focus on that tremendously. I make sure the dog walks really nice on a leash with him under heavy distractions. And then I, I kind of fiddle around with a sit-stay. 
So we kind of work on sit, stay last. Um, and we do demonstrate. Sometimes I don't even show the people. We'll train the dog to sit, stay, but on the send home, I, sometimes I don't even show them. So it's, it's more for off-leash control and the recall because I'm the only guy in the area that, that, that guarantees it. Cool. There's a lot of trainers around me, but none of them none of them use a remote control collar. Well, actually, there's one other person, but they don't they don't leave their facility with it. They're using it, but they're not. I mean, I go to the outlet malls, I go to the beach, I go to all the parks in the area. Very very little work here, um, where we start the dogs. Um, but you know, like I said, I'll ask people: Are do you think this you're going to ever take this dog off leash? Because I get a lot of dogs from the, from downtown Houston, and if that's the case, then I'll swap out my time with the off leash stuff with maybe like a solid go to your bed and lay there and don't move. So, and then of course the the walking stuff. That's cool. So yeah, you know, with with the advent of the internet, I guess you know the internet's been coming increasingly more popular. Uh, how do you feel about the the internet dog training courses, and most notably, like for example, Leerberg? I'm sure you know has those online courses. Josh has one that he's been teaching. Uh, I'm taking one of Forrest Mickey's healing tool, the Healer's Toolbox. I'm actually doing the third one right now. Uh, what what's your opinion on that? You know, there's there's so much information to be shared, but you know, are we headed down the right path? No. So here's the thing. You know, whenever whenever I started back in the late 80s as far as my my education went i didn't there's there's two types of education all right you get guidance and you get experience that's how you get your education i had absolutely no guidance everything was from experience any dog trainer that i reached out to um i think they saw me as a threat because no one would help me you know the only time i could get help is if i could find a job with someone like i was telling you about that schutzen dog trainer out in the country you know, he needed someone to, to let his dogs bite. So I got a little bit of guidance from him. And uh, I moved to San Antonio, Texas for a little bit. And I was able to get a job with a gun dog trainer. Cool. And I got some guidance from him, helping him with his gun dogs. Um, so for the first 12 years of, of me training dogs, I, I had little guy. It was all trial and error, which I really felt slowed me down i mean i I relied on my instincts and and i had a good understanding of what people wanted um but man if i would have had that guidance and and other people to teach me man i i think i i'd be a lot better at what i do now so no i i think all that stuff's great man you know how nice is it now that even when people are starting out they can find somebody and get some guidance to, to, to help speed up, you know, what, what, what they're trying to accomplish. I think it's awesome. You know, that's all good stuff to me. Anybody who's doing it and anybody who's successful at it, um, man, I'm all for it. You know, how nice is that? I wish we would have had all this back when I started. Shoot, it would have been a lot easier for me for sure. I mean, I when I first started, I, I had a lot of unhappy customers. But, I mean, it didn't matter. If, I, if 10 people... If I pissed off ten people, but one person was happy with hell, that was enough for me to keep going. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up ten dogs, but I got one right. That's plenty. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward here. I'm not giving up. But um, you know, I wouldn't have fucked up those ten dogs if I would have had someone to guide me along. Yeah, for sure. No, that's pretty awesome because I know uh, Texas in general has had a pretty tight. Um, well, at least from what I can gather outside of Texas, uh, a fairly tight 
group of quality dog trainers working out of there. I know you're down there. Uh, Todd McVickers in Texas as well, right? Dallas area? Yeah, yeah. Well, then, it's, uh, you know, in the Dallas area, that's what you're thinking about. They do have a really nice group of trainers that are close, and, and they meet quarterly throughout the year, four or five times a year. Um, I'm not really – I'm about five hours away from there. No, I was more just talking like Texas Pride shit. You know, you guys got some some rad trainers down there, and uh, you know it's got to be pretty cool being being one of a, a bunch of of pretty solid dog trainers in Texas. Well, like I was getting at it, it's different in Houston. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I, you know, here's the thing: I'm trying to create that same atmosphere here in Houston that they have in Dallas. It's just it's just hard to do. Um, I think they just got really lucky in Dallas with their group of people. Like, as a matter of fact, on the ninth, um, we have a South Texas dog training group, and there's a number of us on, in here. We've had two meetups, and both of them have been at, here at my place. But we've moved a third one, which is going to be on the ninth of next month, up to, and y'all may be friends with her, Paulina Kalish. Man, she's got some weird Polish name. It's hard to pronounce, <laughs> but it starts with a K. And we're going to have the next one at her place. She just opened up a new facility. I reached out to her and I said, hey, you want to have the next meetup at your place? So on the 9th, um, I think I have about seven seven trainers committed to going out there. You know, oh, man, that's we'll have killer. food and really some beer. Cool. And So I'm trying to create that same thing here in Houston that they do have in Dallas. Um so we'll just see how it goes. You know, I don't know. It's it's really hard. I and mean, every time I put this stuff together, I may invite, invite 30 trainers, and we're only having seven or eight show up. But um, I'm going to keep pushing it. Yeah, man, it that's, that's pretty cool, getting to hang out with seven or eight other trainers in your area, though. I mean, invite 30 or not, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I love it. I mean, dog trainers, you know, here's the thing about that. So I went all these years before Chad actually came down and said, and I give Chad a lot of credit. I don't know if y'all like him or not, but I, he, he did a lot for me. Chad's terrible, and, man. That thing I is, dislike it, Chad so fucking much. Fucking Chad. Fuck Chad. <laughs> <laughs> dude, Chad's fucking awesome. That dude has taught me so much about dogs, it's goddamn silly. Okay, so... <laughs> um, up, up to that, you know, up, up to that point, um, man, I just thought I was fucking weird, dude. Because every time I went to a party, you know, even if, this is before I met my wife. Oh shit, we're running out of. My screen went away. It said we're running out of battery. <laughs> but I just thought I was fucking weird because anytime I went to any social gathering, in order to make myself feel comfortable, I had to go into a conversation about dogs. Yeah. Yeah. That's or sports. Right. I like my local sports teams, like the Texans and Rockets. Man, we can get a conversation. Go about Sabers. That. Be good. Go Sabers. Texas doesn't even have it. Oh, you guys yeah, got you Dallas. Fucking... Yeah, and uh, and I'm gonna be I real. My hockey team. Yeah, yeah. And, you're uh, a cheater. Yeah, real bad cheaters. You're a cheater. Um, we never forgot. We're not gonna forget. We're never gonna let it go. That fucking. We're we'll gonna play Dallas at some point. Oh yeah, in the oh. Stanley Cup Finals, and you guys fucking cheated. 97. They literally. Changed the rules of the sport after that game. Because dude, I hate Dallas, dude. <laughs> <laughs> me with that fucking city. <laughs> I don't like no one from Dallas, man. You know what? Whenever, whenever I get a new customer, one of the first thing I ask them if they're a Dallas Cowboy fan. If they say yes, man, I pass them on. <laughs> 
Oh, no, God. I'm kidding, but you know what? That's one of my favorite jokes. I do ask. <laughs> I pick on them a little bit. Oh, we have some fun uh, with it. That's, I enjoy But it. you know what? I just hired another dog <laughs> trainer, and um, he is, man, I forget where he told me he's from, but he has his son in, in a hockey league, and he grew up playing hockey. So uh, he takes his son, and he travels all over the country. His son's only 10 years old. But his team plays hockey teams all over the country, and he travels with them. Um, so, I mean, it is down here. And, hey, mine and my wife's first date was to a minor league hockey game. No. Awesome. Nice. Yeah, she, she was 19. I took her there and got her drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is Elizabeth still doing jujitsu? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's awesome. She's she, badass. Does she try and practice her chokes on you? Don't lie. Oh, shit. Man, if she's got me wrapped up, dude, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> I'm serious, dude. She's just so good at, if she's got her legs anywhere around me, then I'm screwed, man. I, I, mean, I, just, I can try to get out, but I run out of energy. <laughs> That's awesome. You got me. Right before I left no, the she house. She can totally kick my ass. <laughs> right before I left the house. I'd have to, I'd have to oh. punch her in the nose and knock her out. <laughs> That's the only way. <laughs> no, she no, she's totally good at it. She uh, and she goes. There's not very many females. She she practices. I don't know. I know you're into it with uh, Dracolino, Gracie Baja, and he's very well known. <laughs> yeah, and he's got a really nice school. But there's no girls. All the other girls at her school are these really really tiny things that weigh about a hundred pounds, and uh, so she has to go against the guys. Yeah, you know every time, every time she practices and any time she spars, she's got to go against the guys. And uh, now she does really good at it, man. I, you know, my both both my I just I'm about to start off my daughter. She just turned six. Um, about to start her off. My son's twelve. He's been doing it since he was six. And Damn. if I ever get He'd to the point a, where um, I don't have to work as much as I do, then um, I'm definitely gonna join. Oh, for sure, man. Your what, kids what, are going to awesome be fucking killers. What'd you say? I said your kids are going to be killers. I mean, like, they're going to be awesome at jujitsu. No, they're going to sure. choke no, the hell out of people. My son's really good. No, his, his nickname <laughs> is King of Armbar is what they call him. And he's got a sweet armbar, man. He can be underneath somebody and pull it off somehow. I don't know. I <laughs> oh, man. All right, so... Um, you're on the Philosophers and Mad Men podcast. Are you a philosopher or a madman? Oh, oh, man, that's a hard question. Um, Choose wisely. I, I'd, I'd have to be a madman for sure. I yeah, like your I don't, style. I don't think I've philosophized much in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be considered more crazy, I guess, if you had to ask anybody that's known me for a long <laughs> and that's a And that's the biggest word you use thus far, philosophizing. I did. Did I use it right? <laughs> <laughs> You're asking the wrong dude. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, man, I'm, I'm really honored that you asked me to be here. No one's asked me to be on their podcast yet. So when you asked me, I was like, oh, man, yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, shit, dude. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, I'd love to have you on again sometime. What, uh, what's a good way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, Jason at transformmydog.com. Perfect. Any underscores or anything like that, or just pretty straightforward? Uh, yeah, Beautiful. yeah, that's it. Nice. That's it. 
Actually, I'm a pretty boring guy. You know, I just train dogs, raise my kids. That's my life. Um, you know, I try to have fun when I can. It's I work a lot, so you got to pick your moments when you do that. And I try to find time to train my sheep dogs. And that's about my. That's about everything I do. That try doesn't sound bad at all. Beer. Drink that green beer, man. That is really green, by the way. Yeah, that's it. Hey, like, you know, here's the thing about this. We have a tap room down the road. I can see it. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, threw my, I threw my back out yesterday morning, and my man, my back's just been killing me. I didn't think I was going to make it through today. But we have a tap room down the road where they, uh, they, they it's craft beer place. They make their own beer. And this isn't dyed. No? They told me, how, they told me what they used to make it green when they brewed it. Pesticide? And I forget. <laughs> they, no, they actually, I think they took all the gel. Remember Stretch Armstrong? Yeah. <laughs> you ever bust one of those guys open and all no. the green shit would come out? Oh, yeah. Every time I take a drink, I think I'm drinking this stretch. Drinking Stretch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, awesome. Uh, dude, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, we'll have to have you on again. And uh, drink some more beers of a normal color and uh, not filled with chemicals that came from a 1992 uh, <laughs> little kid's toy. No, I think that was like 72, dude. Oh, shit. <laughs> you, you're the expert, oh, how, man. I, Hey, man, how old are you, Josh? That's a secret. No, I'm 31. Okay, yeah. all right. So you're a little bit, I'm 45. Okay. So I'm a little bit older than you guys. But Stretch Armstrong, y'all do know what that toy was, right? Oh, I had yeah. that toy. I definitely had shit, one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, I mean, good we, deal. No, man, I appreciate y'all having me on. You know, hopefully uh, I did a good job. You did all right. You did all right. I mean, it was yeah, okay. Right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you brought up Chad, so that was, uh, I mean, that really dragged the podcast down. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you did real good. All right, man, appreciate it. Have a good night. Elizabeth, good evening. Take it easy, man. Here, jump on in there. You can Bye. Bye. Go have fun. <laughs> Later, Jason. See y'all later, man. Y'all have a good time. Be safe. Later. Don't drive. All right.